say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be You need another chance to be who you want to be, yeah You say that things don't ever change Tomorrow's looking just like today You feel cheated by your circumstances Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. It's me, Jay Izzo. And oh, I got a special show. I, right? You weren't expecting this. You weren't expecting a special show. But I'm telling you, this show is special. So if you're listening, I don't care where you're listening from, you're going to love the show because I am interviewing Dr. Robert Hazenga. Yes, that Robert Hazenga. Yes, that, yes, Dr. H. Right? You know him from The Biggest Loser. You, you've known his book was like, you know, Any Given Sunday was based on Every Given Sunday. They wrote, they did a movie. It was very cool. And yes, I'm interviewing Dr. H. He is the doctor to the celebrities, doctor to the stars, right? And he's going to be Uh-oh. so gracious. Pressure's on. Yeah, he's so gracious to be able to give us some time today. So let me do what I do every week, right? Let me check in with you on the four areas of your life, right? I believe we're we're four-part people, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual people. And so let me just check in with your numbers, right? Scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being you couldn't be any better. Where are you at physically today? Meaning, you know, how are you doing? Like, do you feel like you're, you're, you're getting along, getting in better shape? Do you feel like you feel good? Are you doing all the things necessary? Maybe your, your diet's better or you're exercising more. On that scale of 1 to 10, 1 being just the worst, 10 being the best, where are you at physically right now, right? Now, I'm, I ask you that question because I also want to know where, what do you need to do to improve to get to the next number? So regardless of what your number is now, I don't care if it's a 2 or if it's a, um, or if JB says, uh, says it's a 6, right? Okay, so JB, what are you going to do? What, what do you need to do to go from a 6 to a 7? I don't need you to get to a 6 to a 10. And Tom says he's an 8. So, Tom, what do you need to get from an 8? And that, which is awesome, Tom. Good for you. What do you need to get from an 8 to a 9? What What do you need to change in your life right now to get to a, to get to a 9 or get to a 7? Or whatever that number is that you have. What do you need to do? What do you need to change? Do you need to eat better? Do you need to cut something out of your diet? Maybe maybe too much sugar? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you found yourself eating a lot more bad things. You know, maybe... You know, you know, you, we've all done this, right? Where you have the bag of chips and you're sitting in front of the TV and the next thing you know, you have that grease stain up to your elbow because you're that deep into the bag, right? Maybe, maybe we need to cut some things out we shouldn't, shouldn't be eating or maybe we, maybe we take cheat days because we feel we deserve a cheat day, you know? So maybe that's what you got to do to change. But whatever it is, I want you to think about what do you need to do to change? And then how are you going to commit to making that change? Okay, what are you going to do to commit to that change? right? Because nothing changes unless you change. All right. All right. So you got your first number. Great. All right. So, um, (laughs) JB says, I need to get rid of the flu. You know what? Getting rid of the flu will will, will raise your numbers for sure. All right. So how about mentally? Where are you at in that scale of one to 10? One being absolutely awful, 10 being amazingly mentally. Where are you at? Uh, Tom says he's going to eliminate fried foods. Don't tell Kim. Okay. I won't. Although she may be listening to the show, uh, or she's watching it. So what about mentally? What are you feeding your mind right now? Right? Are you feeding your mind good things? You, you can feed your mind good things and bad things, right? Just like you can feed your body good things and bad things, right? You, you could do the same thing mentally. You know, sometimes we can consume the wrong thing in our, in, in our mental state. Sometimes we read the wrong thing. Sometimes we, you know, are so caught up into reading something that really isn't all that good for us. It's really not expanding our mind or helping us grow. You know, one of the things that I love about doing the show is I read basically one book a week. And it's really cool because I've I've noticed as I've done this, and I've never done this before, by the way, of reading a book a week, what it does to my brain. But it really, really expands it. And I'm learning so much along the way about you know, how to do my business better how, or how to be better as a person or how to be better in my career or, you know, there's just so many, they, there's just so many uh, good things that you could be putting into your brain. And remember your, your brain is two halves, right? It's collect, it's connected by this thing we call a corpus callosum, which is way too nerdy. I know, but it's what I am, but you have a right and left brain. 
And your right brain is that brain that's your creative side. So you need to feed that creative that creative side. You need to feed the right side. You need to do something creatively. And and you say, well, what can that be? Well, you could learn a language. You could take up an instrument. You could try to learn a new instrument. You can draw. You can do something artistic. Or, you know, you can you could do things with words, you know, word puzzles. You could do things that expand it. Play some Scrabble. That's creative, right? I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's really true. It's a great game. And then you have the left side of your brain, right? Which is the logical side of your brain, right? So here's here's the thing about the left side. I think the left side is sometimes so much more easier. Hi, John Mosier. Um, here's the thing that is so much easier about the left side of your brain. It's so much easier to find logical things to read. It doesn't make us feel good necessarily, but they're logical. You know, the logical things, the numbers, the, the logic. And we need to feed both sides of our brain. The mistake that we make is we get sucked up into one side or the other, right? And I have friends who, you know, will only want to be on the logical side and they don't want to have anything to do with that fun creative side. And then I have people who only want to do the fun creative side and don't want to do anything on the logical side. You've got to have a balance of both. So on a scale of one to 10, what's your number mentally? You know, how have you been doing, right? On scale one, one being miserable, 10 being awesome. How are you doing mentally in feeding your brain? All right, you got that number? So you got two numbers, right? You got a physical number, a mental number. Now let, let me talk to you spirit, I mean, emotionally. What, how are you doing on the same scale, one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being awesome? How are you doing spiritual? I mean, emotionally. And what do I mean by that is how well are you able to keep your emotions in check, first of all, right? Do you get angry at little things? Like if, if, if that person cuts you off, does it upset you? Does it anger you just, just like that? Or are you able to kind of let it go? You know, do, you know, if, if somebody does the littlest thing wrong, does it just, just get under your skin so much that you want to do something about it? That's where you need to check yourself in terms of your emotions, Right. Because what we know about emotions, and here's the thing that we get totally wrong on emotions, is that we believe there's a, a philosophy that says, well, if you don't let them out and you hold them in, um, that's that's the way that you're going to be able to get rid of that. And that's absolutely not true. What we know, the research is so clear on this, the angry you are, and the more you let it express it, the angrier you will get. It's true. It's, it's just what we do as humans. So controlling our emotions is key. And what happens is sometimes we let circumstances guide our emotional state. And it's really easy to do. Listen, I'm, I'm not telling you that I've got this down, all right, because I clearly don't. But when we are able to face our circumstances, hi, Jason, when we're able to face our circumstances and not react to them because of the way things are happening and are able to control our emotions, that's when we can start clicking in our mental side and our physical side to do something about it. So controlling our emotions is so important. The other part of how are you doing emotionally is how well are you relating to other people's emotions? And do you know what one of the keys to, and, and I struggle with this all the time, I'm complete, complete vulnerability and transparency here. Listening is a key skill to understanding other people's emotions. Do you know what they feel? Right? Do you understand how they feel, really? And, and, and do you care enough to understand how they really feel? See, I don't care what business you're in. I don't care what relationships you're in, whether you're married or single or you're trying to date or you're trying to sell something. The fact of the matter is everything that you read, including in this book, and other books that I, that, that I have done on the show about marketing. If you're able to really tune into somebody else's emotions, you're probably going to win the deal. We, we are so busy trying to tell people what we want and what, and, and how we feel that we spend less time trying to understand how other people feel. And if you're in sales or if you're managing people or you're part of a team, understanding how people feel is critically important to success. I, I am convinced of it beyond anything else. When we start understanding each other and how they feel, I don't have to agree with you, 
But if I understand it, now what happens is I'm able to go forward because people want to be understood. What one of us doesn't want to be understood? I just want people to understand me, right? We all want that. So why don't you become that as part of the emotional part of the emotional piece? So scale one to ten emotionally, where you at? All right, you got that number? Good. Okay, finally, the spiritual piece. Scale of one to ten, where are you at spiritually? And you say, Jay, I don't believe in spiritual things. You know, I get that a lot where people ask me, I just don't believe in spiritual stuff. But you know, the truth of the matter is you do. You don't you don't see it as spiritual, but you you actually do believe in spiritual things because there are so many things that you cannot explain in terms of science and in terms of things that you see. And you go, give me an example. Okay, so you can't explain, for instance, why we love someone else. It's 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 not a physical attraction. It, it, it might be a part of it, but you can't explain why we love another person that we're not even connected to. It's it's very hard. You can't. It's hard to explain why you love a dog that doesn't communicate back with you. It is hard to explain why somebody would die for somebody else that they don't know, and yet our military and police officers do it every day. Right, because there's something bigger than that. There's something, something that science can't explain and never will explain it. Right, is why, why we're a, why we have all those things. Right, it's because there's something bigger than us, and we believe in it. We, some people believe in karma or they believe in nature. Some people believe in God, and and so, <clears throat> excuse me. So when I ask the question spiritually, where are you at? I'm asking you, how are you tuned in? Right, and and. And, you know, if you do believe in God, I'm going to just ask you, you know, how's that relationship going, right? And what do you need to do to improve it? Just like I ask any of the other four areas, right? You know, and, and then I would ask you, whatever that spiritual area is of your life, I would ask you this, I would ask you, is it working? You know, do you feel a sense of peace? Do, are you, do you feel a sense of joy? I didn't say happiness. I said joy, right? It's two, two different things, okay? So, you got four numbers. A physical number, a mental number, emotional number, and a spiritual number, right? Scale of one to ten, right? In each of those areas. You gotta think of those four numbers as the four legs of a table. Okay, so the the four legs of the table, right? And and if they're uneven, it's gonna be pretty hard to eat off that table. If they're if they're even, it's great, but if they're all really low, then it's really hard to eat, right? If you're sitting in a normal chair, right? So the idea is to be balanced. And to have your table at the right height. And, you know, so we want you to be there. And so hope that helps you to check in. And so without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. H. Dr. Zenga, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So for people who don't know Dr. Huzang, I'm just going to give you this little introduction. I, I think I've done this okay. I think I'm doing this all right. So Dr. Huzang is better known as Dr. H. He's an internist and a social professor and, uh, of clinical medicine at UCLA. He grew up in Rochester, New York. He uh, was all-county in football, wrestling, track at Penfield High. Uh, and at the University of Michigan, he was had honors in both math and biology. Uh, he was an NCAA All-American wrestler. He went to Harvard Med School, and where he played rugby. I don't know why he chose to do that because those people are crazy, <laughs> but he did it anyway. Uh, he did his residency at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, um, and he has been with somebody who's, if you know him, he's been a correspondent for Breakaway. Later, he did the Home Show. Uh, he's been done the Biggest Loser. Um, he he was also the Los Angeles Raiders. Um, uh, physician for a good portion of the time as well. He's been on the Dr. Oz show, Larry King live extra E today's show. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what at find out places where he hasn't been because they're par- fewer than where he has been. <laughs> so Dr. H the, one of the things that I love about doing the show is when I get to interview people like you, people are always interested in their stories and, and you have an, an amazing story, right? Because I, I I was wondering, I always wanted to wonder, how does somebody <laughs> become a doctor to celebrities? Because it, it is what you are, and it's okay. I'm, I, I, but, I mean, do you, do you wake up one morning and go, you know, I'm going to become a doctor. And when I do, <laughs> I'm going to be a doctor to celebrities. Well, it's interesting, but, you know, the first thing you have to do is, you know, live in Los Angeles. So it's, it's almost not fair because if you're, if you're a professional in Los Angeles, you know, you're going to, 
you're going to rub shoulders with some people that are relatively famous because sure. this is the town where they all live and they they all need doctors and some of that's good and some of that's bad because you know on in one hand some celebrities you know actually seem to make a practice of picking out bad doctors you know and without naming a lot of names you could start right. with somebody like Michael Jackson so just you know, being the doctor of celebrities isn't always a good thing. You know, we'd like it to be, but, you know, obviously some people can be changed somehow in their prescribing practice and the way they take care of people can be changed, uh, unfortunately. And so it's not always, you know, a good thing. But, you know, if if people that have a little, you know, more time to think about their health and are more concerned about what they look like, what they feel like, then, yeah, it would be nice if that were a, a tremendous compliment, as it sometimes is, to take care of celebrities. When, when you, but when you went on this mission, right, I mean, and when I call it a mission because, you know, I know, I know, you know, you have to do your residency and you have to do everything that you have to do to become a, a medical mm-hmm. doctor. But how does it happen for you as a as 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 Robert Huizenga, how does it happen where all of this falls into place? I mean, what's the what's the journey kind of like for you in terms of how you get from Harvard to LA and and how that all happens? Well, that is kind of an interesting story and and I guess you kind of have to just have something in your brain or in your genes because even when I was at you know, I always played sports. I was like you. I know you were a big-time athlete as well, and that was always my concern in high school and even college probably, you know, just really focusing on athletics. But in med school, when I had a little bit more time, for the first time ever, I was in a play. You know, Harvard has this really famous slash infamous sophomore and then and then final year of med school play. And I'd never done any plays in high school, college, and all of a sudden I started writing the shows, you know, and we would do funny takeoffs like we would have, um, you know, instead of Coma, which was a big, you know, movie that was written by and booked by Michael Crichton, we did Stoma, which is, you know, when someone has a, you know, a, a, the, their bowel cut, and we would do kind of a medical spoof, and then I started into quote-unquote show business. So when I then came to Cedars-Sinai, uh, they also do an intern show, and I wrote that. And then when people from show business would say, hey, I've got a TV show, everybody would say, hey, talk to Rob. And so all of a sudden, my, my internship year in a hospital, you know, uh, there were two or three different TV shows where people would come to me. So that was that's kind of the weird start of, you know, when I was introduced to to show business and I always wanted to do medical news and so I went and just interned with a guy called Art Ulane who was doing the medical news for the Today Show and you know very quickly from there you know opportunities present and if you're you know you knock on the right doors and you prepare you know good things will happen. That's awesome we're talking with Dr. Robert Huizenga otherwise known as Dr. H, uh, you have seen him probably, you know, on the Dr. Oz show, Dr. Shows. You've seen him, The Biggest Loser, and uh, he's got several books. I'm going to let him, I'm gonna, eventually we're going to talk about his books because he's got several books out there. He's got a new one coming out that uh, we're going to talk about as well. Uh, but he's brought to you today by Here on a New Direction by, who else? Endline Business Brokers and Advisors. They're internationally known. If you own your own business, I don't care where you're at, everybody knows who Endline is. They literally help people sell their businesses, but they don't just help them do it. They do it with utmost confidentiality, which is so important when people are trying to sell their business. And so if you're looking for uh, somebody to sell your business and sell it right for the highest amount of money with the best experience, find the folks at Endline Business Brokers and Advisors, and you can find them at endline.com. That's E-N-L-I-G-N.com. And also brought to you today by Linda Craft and Team Realtors, no matter where you're at in the world. They can help you find the right realtor, or they can help you in the Research Triangle Park locally. So if you need to find out more information, you can find out more at lindacraft.com, L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com, and they're bringing us Dr. H today here on A New Direction. So here's what I just heard in that story with you, and it was, you're more, this was more than just being an MD. This, <laughs> you, because... I, I really believe that people, that we are, we're more than what our degrees are, right? I mean, I have my psychology degree, but Correct. 
but I am more than that. I loved acting. I loved playing sports. I and it, and you know, listen. I worked in an athletic couple athletic departments, Division One athletic departments, and what I found really quickly was that uh, academics and athletics typically don't mix. Okay, it, correct. It's it's oil and water, and and uh, I had a very I couldn't make it. I had to start doing my own thing because I did not fit into that mold where I was trying to, my research was helping deficient student athletes in the classroom. And that was where I, because I really felt that that's where I could help most, right? Because I felt like there's a lot of kids who come into college who are just underskilled. It's not that they're not smart. They're plenty smart enough. It's just that they're underskilled and doing the things that they need to do to take care of business, but nobody spent the time to teach them those skills. But Absolutely. Right, but so what happens is though, when you start falling in love with that, when you start dealing with athletes, then the, the academic people say, well, we're doing too much and vice versa. But you you kind of took your own path here to get here. You were like, listen, I love, the, I, love, I love my MD. I love my medical, but I am a little bit of an actor and I am an athlete. Well, it is interesting because, you know, I hate to date how old I am, but when I was in Harvard Med School uh, and you're talking about the early 80s, there was a feeling among doctors that vigorous exercise was bad for you. So <laughs> here I was, you know, and jokingly they said, you know, because Harvard likes to have a disparate class, and so they always have in one or two world-class musicians from philharmonics, and they'll have a number of PhDs from different fields, and they'll always have a couple of athletes. And I was All-American, and that, that probably helped me. I got straight A's in school, but, sure. you know, a guy from University of Michigan, there's nobody from the Big Ten that gets into Harvard, of course, for some of these grad schools. So it was interesting that there I was kind of addicted to sports, and I used to work out every day. You know, I'd, I'd jog past all these bright windows at night of everyone else studying, and I'm like running, and I'm going, this has got to be stupid. I'm not getting enough study time. And, and in fact, my preceptor, who was a Nobel laureate, said to me, you know, Rob, you've been accepted at Harvard Med School. That's an incredible honor. You've got to stop with the sports stuff and just focus on helping people and learning medicine. He said, when I go to the track, I bet on horses. I'll never forget that line. And, um, and basically said, exercise is not good for you. And this is only in the early 80s. And this is unfortunately the stigma that many doctors are stuck with and they're they're basically non-athletic and they're not into sports and they're not into exercise and unfortunately i think that's translated to the american population because doctors have not been advocates for regular exercise good diets and doing all they can to make people's lifestyles optimal and and that's something that i think we really hit heavily on biggest loser and it was an area of medicine that had been far underserved and and that was just a fortunate thing where you have somebody with disparate background sports and medicine and i put those two together and it was kind of a weird specialty that didn't exist at that time in medicine right and and you know here's what i love about you uh dearly i really do is because you you're so honest about this. I I know that you and I are on the same page about sugar. I, I, I tell people all the time, God, folks, good, you know, you want to you lose weight? You know what's your fastest way to lose it? Look at your sugar. Look how much stinking sugar you're taking in. But the other thing is, we still have doctors. I have one, personally. Because I, I don't, I reduced my sugar way down because my A1C was around 6.5 four and I dropped it to Ooh, that's up there yeah yeah and I dropped it to 5.6 just cutting sugar okay did it on my own just just literally literally stopped eating sugar just I mean no fruit juice there's so much by the way people think that 100% fruit juice is good for you stop it, it it's it's still sugar it's coca-cola with a little bit of vitamin there it is yeah that's exactly what it is and so I cut it right and I dropped it I literally dropped it in six months to 5.6 Okay, and I have diabetes that runs on both sides of my family, so I have to be really, really careful. And I don't, I watch my process. For the uninitiated out there, five point seven is kind of the break point between right. normal and pre-diabetic. Right, and I and I and, and you were at six point four, and six point five is straight on diabetes. So, right. yeah, you were walking a really, really fine mm-hmm. line there. You know, right. a, a relatively healthy person going into diabetes, which can happen. Right, and with our diets, and you know. People don't understand it. I, I, I tell people, people say, God, why do you have to be so stringent about, you know, you know, breads and, and sugars and, and pastas and stuff like that? And I'm like, oh, because 
I don't I don't want to go on medication. So because I don't want to do it, and I exercise five days a week. I'm 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 a guy who high cardio with heavy weightlifting still at my age because mm-hmm. I think you and I are pretty close to the same age, and so uh, you know I still do that, but I still find that doctors I still have doctors that will say to me because I, I lift very heavy to this day. I'm 55 mm-hmm. years old. You know I can still right. I can still do 20 reps with 100 pound dumbbells in a row after the end of my sets. I still, you know, deadlift over 400 pounds. I still squat over 400 pounds. I still do all those things. You'll have doctors that say that's bad for you. They did. No, no, no. I, I had one doctor, get this, Dr. H, you'll love this. I had one doctor, I was having back problems, who told me to go heavier Mm -hmm. because I was, I stopped going heavy. He -hmm. told me to actually go heavier and it solved my back problems. I was, I would, I got into that over 50 mode. This is five years ago. I got into Mm -hmm. that mode where my back was hurting and they were telling me I had an old back and you know they but my the, the surgeon didn't want to do surgery and he said tell me about your weightlifting and I said well you know I'm over 50 now so it's all low and slow you know lightweight low and slow and he said low and slow this is I've never had this advice he said low and slow what does it remind you of? I said I don't know he said turkey turkeys <laughs> and pork butt he said that's great for turkey and pork butt <laughs> He said, "You know what? Look at look at your stature. Look at your your." He said, "Go back to lifting heavy. Let's see what happens. What are you going to lose?" And I said, "Nothing." So I started deadlifting. I worked my way up back to going heavy. I have never had a back problem since. Uh, that's the rare me. doctor that that faces different infirmities, orthopedic infirmities, and tells you to work out more, not less. But yes. in fact, even for low back pain, no one's ever showed that you know exercise hurts. That it may be neutral, but. You know, uh, if you back off of exercise at any age, you know, you're going to get all kinds of other ramifications. And, um, yeah, I'm totally behind that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And then, so the same thing is true. I, I am six feet, uh, about six feet, five inches tall and about 260 pounds. And by all technique, and by the way, I'm, I'm in really pretty decent shape. I do sprint cycling classes regularly as part of my workout. But my, I have a doctor. One of my doctors my says to me, I'm o- o- morbidly obese, even though I am, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, he's doing the BMI, which right. is an incredibly bogus, you know, method of assessing health. It's really sad what doctors will tell you. By the way, does your doctor look at you and do an exact body fat analysis, or does he just say, here's your weight and here's your height, and then we're going to give you a BMI? And doctors that do that are, are really in in dinosaur era. Yeah, so she won't, right? She's never. I said, why don't you give me a body fat test? I said, I, I, I said come on. I said, I I know what I'm up against in my age group. Okay, I, I said, I think I'm I think I'm pr- I'm pretty good here, I, and I know I am. But I said I'm pretty good here from a body fat standpoint. I said rather than evaluating my weight and my height, I said why don't you you know, why don't you give me body fat? Uh, I could tell, you know, that's the reason I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> just, it, it's frustrating. Yeah, and by the way, nobody can tell because, you know, there's something, everybody can kind of grab your subcutaneous fat and get an assessment of that. But many people marble fat, it's called visceral fat, inside the abdomen, right. inside the liver, around the heart, in the pancreas. That's the fat that causes all kinds of disease. And by the way, that's the fat that causes diabetes. Right. And that is absolutely undiscernible unless you do an accurate body fat analysis, either a bod pot or a DEXA scan. So yeah, I couldn't disagree like you more with that doctor. Which is interesting because the other the other doctor I went to did that, right? Because when at first, when I, my, my A1C was a little high, my, my liver was a little more fatty and I had yeah. to make some changes. That's the first thing that I do with people like you that are, you know, relatively athletic and they have early diabetes. There's a gene, unfortunately, that causes fat to, de- to deposit in the liver, and that's something that we like to ferret out with either an ultrasound or a body fat analysis. And yeah, you got to motivate those people and say, hey, you know, you're doing you know 90% or 80% correctly, but yeah, we got work to do still. Yeah, th- that's the thing that I think really captured me. And you know, when you were doing the Biggest Loser stuff, I you know I've seen on your website, and I also have heard you in some videos and things like that talk about how. You know, we really do not, I don't think we really grasp how much sugar we have in our diet. Yeah, we did one show with Biggest Loser, and we kind of estimated how much sugar they had used in the previous year, and it was this giant pile 
we did it uh, in a morgue, of course, you know, for dramatic effect. Right. But a giant pile of sugar, you know, basically on that morgue table, and it was it even astounded me when we kind of put it all together. It's it's, I mean, we consume. Uh, is am I? Do, I think it was like two or three hundred pounds. I can't yeah, remember the yeah, exact yeah, amount, yeah, yeah. but it was some staggering amount. Yeah, is it, am I wrong in this? Correct me if you may know the statistic better than I, but I thought I read a statistic that the United States is like the number one consumer of processed sugar. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's almost a certainty. I don't know that fact exactly, but we're up there. That's for sure. We're and we're we're taking way way more than we did, you know, certainly back in 1970, 1980, sure. and that's one of the reasons why. Oh yeah, we stopped eating maybe a little bit of saturated animal fat, but we exchanged it for sugar, and that was a horrible exchange. Well, I interestingly, I interestingly, I think you might find this interesting. You may know the story, but I was uh, interviewing Dr. Corey Phelps from McGill University. Uh, and uh-huh. in a previous show, and he wrote a book um, called Cracked It, How to Solve the Biggest Problems. And he was talking about that, so what happened was during the Eisenhower area, Eisenhower had a uh, heart attack. Heart attack, sure. And so, but there, in the 50s, there was research done by a guy by the name of Yudkins or something like that, I think it was his name, that demonstrated that sugar was actually the problem, but he did not communicate it well. Another guy comes in and says, does some research and says, oh, it's it's all about the fats. And so instead of sugar, which the research was cause and effect in the 50s, this guy comes mm-hmm. along with his correlational research and convinces the world it's fat. Now, by the way, in his research, and I can't, and his name escapes me now too, in his research, he forgot to include France and Germany as part of it. Yeah, because they were exceptions, right? Right, because they were exceptions, right? So they didn't include him, right? So here we are, come forward now 69 years later, or 60-something years later, and we're starting to understand again, you know what? Maybe this isn't about the fat. Maybe this is about the sugar. Because, I mean, let's think, I mean, right? Well, absolutely, although, you know, and even beyond the sugar, it's about, fatty deposition, you know, right. inside your body. And sure. just sugar is a quicker way to get that than anything else. So, you know, you can even look at exceptions of people that have limited sugar uh, and they do better on average. But it's it's really all about what's causing fat. And there's something about sugar that increases your appetite literally and makes it harder to stop. And And so sugar works not only in terms of calories, but probably a calorie is not just a calorie in that you know, calories of sugar uh, tend to be less suppressive of your appetite than calories of certain lean proteins. So that's part of the problem. You know, and probably saturated fat is not good for you, but right. yeah, the, the, the sugars and the increasing adipose tissue that, that right. it causes preferentially, that those are really the killers. I, I, I totally agree with you. We're talking with Dr. Hazinga. He, he's otherwise known as Dr. H. You know him. You've seen him. On so many shows, he's uh, just world-renowned. He's been on The Biggest Losers, uh, Biggest Loser. Um, he he is a total advocate for drug-free, non-surgical approach to fat loss, and I am so much in agreement with that because he's also, as well as the elimination of type 2 diabetes, which I love him for dearly. And um, he has been on every show that you could think of. He's also an author. Um, he wrote a book called You're Okay, It's Just a Bruise. Uh, which tells the story, how he became the youngest NFL doctor and how he went on to set the record straight on concussions, ergogenic drug use, pain-killing shots among NFL athletes. Um, His book sparked a tremendous debate, which became a movie called Any Given Sunday by Oliver Stone. Um, And he also has got a book called, uh, is it out yet, Sex, Lies, and uh, STDs? Yeah, it just came out. So that's like, that was... It's weird how, you know, you were talking before how your career takes different paths. and Sometimes you just have to kind of listen to what happens. And this was the path where I wasn't an expert. I wasn't necessarily prepared, but I was so outraged by what I saw and the, the, the um, not only hypocrisy, but inaccuracy of the reporting and what was going on in America that I just felt compelled to write a book. And that subject was about STDs, shockingly. And it just, you know, because people are looking at me, how the heck did this happen? And I'm like, you know what, there was so much 
falsehood out there and mm. such a huge problem that I just felt compelled that somebody should, you know, tackle this this kind of last of the taboos, so to speak. Yeah. You know, we you you of course um, having been in the athletic world and in the celebrity world, and I do not listen. I do not want people to think that I am stereotyping because I don't want that to happen. But and I don't know if I were to do the statistics that there's a higher percentage of um, sexual activity among athletes than there is in the rest of the population. I don't want to make that, but because they're more readily in the news, we probably have the assumption that it looks like it's more. Uh, Does some of this stem from the fact that you've had to deal with maybe from an athletic standpoint or a celebrity standpoint that some of this stems from that you've had to see? Well, yeah. I mean, I I think people with more money, more, you know, uh, celebrity dumb, you know, attract more suitors, you know, of both sexes. So, yeah, that was part of it. But the big thing was I was was taking care of a, a, a patient, Charlie Sheen, who elected to come out with his diagnosis of HIV on the Today Show. And, you know, so we went through a big interview process. And during that time, he said, you know, on TV, you know, basically in an offhanded remark to Matt Lauer that he had had uh, sex with a couple partners without a condom, you know, under his doctor's care and pointing to me. And as you can imagine, the internet just blew up, just, right. you know, and everybody, you know, is, and, and news reporters, this was the shocking thing to me, were saying that, you know, horrible, enabling Hollywood doctor, how dare he endanger, you know, the women of America. So I knew the facts, right. and obviously newspaper reporters not only didn't know the facts, but were so lazy or um, inefficient or basically just unethical, printed Incorrect information, and that incorrect information was that I was an enabling, horrible doctor who Mm. was endangering the women of America when the true facts were as follows. If someone is fully treated with HIV, their chance of passing the virus on during sex with a partner without condoms was essentially zero. Now, this is a shocking fact that even today, few in America know. But if the woman in this instance, is put on PrEP, something that markedly 99 plus plus percent reduces the chance of acquiring HIV from someone who has it. And on the other side of the equation, if the person with HIV is on full treatment, their chance of passing it is essentially zero. The other person's taking a drug that makes the chance of them getting zero. So together, there is a zero percent chance, and we do this routinely now. And it's so effective that now an individual with HIV who is dating someone who is HIV negative, we don't recommend any prevention whatsoever except for other STDs like gonorrhea and syphilis. Obviously, the treatment doesn't. But this is so radical and so outrageous Mm. that, you know, newspapers were saying this was unacceptable activity without even checking with infectious disease specialists said, Mm. I've got to write about this. And so that's how the book started. And then as I was going through it, I, I just realized there were similar amounts of misconceptions about HPV, about syphilis, about gonorrhea. Mm. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to write a book that talks about sex, that talks about STDs, and then talks about all the lies that we tell each other and that the media tells and that big pharma you know, plays to perpetuate this litany of myths about sex and STDs. And it's time it all ends. And I feel embarrassed that I have to be the one to do it because I'm not an expert in this field. I've just seen it from now the inside and the outside. And I want to do what I can just as a regular country doctor to to help the 25 million Americans that are going to get a new STD within the next year. Mm. We're talking with Dr. Thank you, Dr. Hazanga. By the way, we are, we're talking with Dr. Hazanga, Dr. H, here on A New Direction, and he is being brought to you today by Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. Internationally known, Inline Business Brokers and Advisors literally has helped thousands of people in the buying and the selling of their business. When you want to have your business sold with complete confidentiality, that is their trademark. Make sure you contact the folks at Inline Business Brokers and Advisors, and you can learn more by going to Inline, that's E N. 
L-I-G-N.com. And also Lindacraft and Team Realtors, wherever you're at in the world, they can help you in the selling, selling or purchase of a home. They can match you with the right person anywhere in the world. And if you're in the Research Triangle Park, that greater Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, they can help you locally as well. And they'll be happy to do, a, do that. And they are sponsoring today's show. And Dr. H., um, otherwise known as Dr. Hazenga, uh, he is the doctor to the stars. He's the, he has um, also been the doctor to the Los Angeles Raiders, and uh, he has been so kind and gracious to join us here today. I, you know, it's interesting that you say that we have this misconception. I, 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 I go back again to one of the issues that we have psychologically when it comes to these type of things is we can create a narrative that as long as it is believable, it is far more acceptable than the truth. <laughs> so true. Right? I mean, because psychologically, right, it would make, you know, even when we're talking about sugar and fat, it makes more sense to say sugar's not a problem, but fat is. Because fat puts on fat. And sugar doesn't put on fat. Sugar has nothing to do with fat. Although, I tell people psychologically and neurologically, I say to them, you understand, right, we have natural receptors for sugar in our brain, right? Your, your brain wants to eat sugar. And if you don't tell your desperate. brain... It's desperate. It's desperate for it. desperate for it. And if you don't tell your brain no, guess what your brain will do? It will continue to consume sugar at such high rates. So, so and people go, ah, you know, don't, you know, now you're meddling. You know, now you're meddling with me. You're, you, you know, don't tell me that I have to give up my sugar in my coffee. Don't tell me that I've got to stop eating pie. Don't, don't stop. I'm like, okay, you know what? Listen, I can't tell you. All I could tell you is I dropped 30 pounds in, I dropped 30 pounds in the course of a year just stopping sugar, just watching my sugar, period. Not, not eating it, not consuming it. I'm just telling you, it took me 30 pounds in 12 months. And that's the only thing I changed. The, the only thing, nothing else changed. So you tell me, and I dropped my A1C for down below below six. So you you tell me what I right I can't explain it. And so here's the thing about STDs, right? And sex and the sex lies and STDs. The new book that Dr. H currently has out, available by the way on Amazon and your favorite bookstore. If they aren't facing it out, you need to tell them. Would you face Dr. H's book out for crying out loud? I don't want to see the seam <laughs> of the book. I want to see it faced out so I can read it. Uh, as an author myself, I understand the importance of that. So you find that book, and you know what? You turn it out so that everybody can see that book because you need you need people to do that. So we appreciate <laughs> you doing that. But right, this is the this is the problem with the sex life. This the STDs, right? We we want to believe something, you know, like you just said about HIV. It's not the truth, and we, but we want to believe that. Oh, okay. Well, now we've now we've crossed the line. This is. You know, we've we've just started a polio epidemic. You know what I mean with 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 the whole thing, and that's not what that's not the truth. That's not what the research says. No, and and we want to just keep. I don't know what we want to do, but we just don't want to talk about it. There's there's this incredible ostrich head in the sand <laughs> phenomenon when it comes to sexually transmitted diseases, and and the other narrative that we want to push is. Hey, you know, just wear a condom and there's no worry. <laughs> well, there's two problems with that. Number one, people don't seem to want to wear a condom, and right. women don't know the right tools to encourage men to wear a condom. Right. And then number two is, you know, condoms only, shockingly enough, if there were to be universal condom use, it would only prevent about 60% right. of the STDs, you know, that are projected over right. the next year. So we have to do more than that. We have to take vaccines. We have to consider antibiotics pre-intercourse. Right. And we have to consider trying to make sure if we fit into a high-profile group, we need to do a lot more testing. Right. Because the number one problem, I think, with STDs in this country, you know, people have come to me over and over and said, oh, this book's going to be a giant failure because we don't need a book like that anymore. If, if there's a worry about STDs, I'm just going to go online and read about it. And, and this is where that falls apart. Number one, the number one most common symptom of STDs in this country, and again, there'll be 25 million Americans with a new STD this year alone, is no symptoms at all. You can't go on the internet to research, I feel great, I have no symptoms. You have to know about testing and you have to know about prevention so that you don't get one of these silent infections that goes on and affects your fertility or affects your health in some way. That's hilarious. Right, because everybody's you know everybody's jumping on WebMD, 
right? After they, sure, after, sure. Right? They're, that's going to save them. <laughs> they're, they're all jumping. Meanwhile, I, I, the other thing that's kind of hilarious as well, I spent three years, you know, every night after work, every weekend writing this book, and I could probably only get, and I went to Harvard Med School, I think, I could only get about maybe 50% accurate information off the Internet, and I'm a doctor, and the rest I had to get through special papers and through other consultations. So the stuff, I wrote this book over three years. I couldn't find it on the Internet. I'm not sure how people expect to find out the key details. In other words, you know, where are you going to go on the Internet and find out how, how likely sex toys are to cause various STDs. It, you just can't find it, you know. It's, it, it may be there, but it's not there. How many, you know, what effect does menstruation have on STD passage? These are, you know, you can look, you know, what is the exact chance per intercourse that you're going to get the various STDs, you know, per, per, per hookup, what's your okay. chance of getting, you know, herpes type 1 or type 2? Right. And so there's so many things people must know, need to know, should know, it's not out there. It's not out there. And that's the other reason I put out this book is like, I'm a common sense guy, you know? And um, if, it, if, if I couldn't find it, I, I'm worried about the rest of the country. I, I'm hoping they're a lot smarter than me, but still, for the people that aren't, um, you know, I think that we all need some help and we need critical questions and issues put in an understandable format. And that's what I tried to do in this book. Uh, Sex Lies in STDs is the uh, is the book that Doctor Hazinga has written. I I, I got to be honest with you. I do find it I do find it a joke, right? Because people are, <laughs> I, I it's such a joke because people feel like oh you can go to the internet and you can find everything and yeah and and then and then because, hear that over and over. Oh my God! And then what they do and you know this right? People do their own research on the internet. They've never read a journal sure. article in their life, right? They've, right, never, they've right, never, right? They've never, they, they couldn't. And they're going to they're gonna condense all that information <laughs> that you spent eight years doing and then, you know, 10 years of private experience and they're going to, they're going to knock it out in a, in 15 minutes. It's a joke. <laughs> Through Google. <laughs> <laughs> and and Wikipedia, right? They're going to find it through Wikipedia and Google or whatever site they're going through, right? And I have I have literally I, it's it's amazing how I have had to go. Okay, listen, you understand, right? There, right, because people think that if they a correlation is cause and effect, and I I can't mm-hmm. tell you how frustrating that is for me as a science guy to to go no 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 just because no A did not cause B. Okay, they, they, yes, they look like they're going in the same direction, but can I be really honest with you and, and the listeners? Okay, I'm going to give you, a, here's another one, all right? Do you know in Boston, Massachusetts, that as ice cream sales increase, so do the number of drownings? That's an absolute fact. It is, the, it is an absolute fact. Uh, Dr. Hazinga can verify it for you that, the, that as ice cream sales sure. increase, the number of drownings increase. It, it happens. It, it, it's, it's, it's unstoppable. It's one-to-one relationship. And, and, and listen, I've given this to college students when I've taught college, and and, and I get well. That's because they're lactose intolerant. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's great. Right, <laughs> right. It's great, right? And you go, ah, okay, summer. Thanks, summer. Thanks, summer. But I mean, it's really the problem. The problem is, is that people. No, you're right. They, they do their own research. They think they know. They think that they're now an expert in the field. They've never read a journal article. They've never read the empirical. I know I've just used a big word for some people. It's an empirical research, right? That we, that you and I are reading that say, you know what? The internet doesn't have this information, and they're not reporting it, and you're not going to find it. Yeah, the problem is the internet is probably getting better and better. Meanwhile, we're in the middle of an STD epidemic. So, yeah. to your point, yeah. The, the Internet, the information is possibly getting a little bit better. But right now, you know, STDs over the last four years are skyrocketing. You know, we, we kind of have, have made huge moves in certain diseases like HIV. But somehow, gonorrhea rates gone up right. 70% in the right. last four years. Right. Syphilis has essentially doubled. Right. Uh, you know, uh, neonatal uh, syphilis in babies is quadrupled. Wow. This is a disease that we essentially had cured in the 1950s, and a disease like chlamydia is up something 20% or more, and you've got 3 million Americans walking around with chlamydia, half of them young women less than 26, 27 years old, wow. and these are individuals that, that have their fertility at risk. I mean, you talk about a real-life 
you know, Handmaid's Tale, it's happening, and the internet's getting better, but the 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 benefit is not there. We're not getting this information. Everybody thinks is at their fingertips. Right. And in terms of STD, the problem is increasing, and we've got to examine why that is. And one of the reasons is this false sense of security people have. And, you know, obviously online dating is a big issue. The fact that right. our federal system is falling apart is a big issue. And, you know, myself and different doctors have to take the fall as well. We're not teaching people when they're at high risk. We're not telling people, hey, you have multiple partners as a heterosexual. You're at high risk. Hey, you're you're gay. You're going to be at higher risk. Hey, you're a person that uh, is drinking or using drugs associated with sex. You're at a higher risk. Mm. You're a person that potentially is exchanging presents or money for sex. You're at higher risk. Mm. And going and and then there's people that aren't necessarily at higher risk, but the stakes are way higher. A pregnant woman. Mm. There is no way a pregnant woman should not have a absolutely thorough STD check. And unfortunately, the last individuals at risk are doctors because they often don't run full tests. Many people I've seen. Oh that come to me, see me as a doctor, say, oh, I've had a full STD check. Meanwhile, they never got checked for herpes. They never got checked for mycoplasm. You know, very common STDs that have huge ramifications and can be uh, properly managed. So, you know, the doctors often are also too embarrassed to get good sexual histories and often are not fully knowledgeable to uh, early diagnose and appropriately treat STDs. And so, boy, there's, a, there's blame spread around for everyone. And if I were out there, I think, you know, your listeners should take the bull by the horns and, and look into this, this issue. And um, if they don't feel they're at high risk, they should, you know, get this information to their children or their friends who may be at higher risk. Oh, wow. Uh, Dr. Hazinga, Dr. H, his book is called, it's called Sex, Lies, and STDs. Uh, the must-read uh, before you swipe right, <laughs> which I kind of love. I think that's kind of cool. And uh, let me just let me just tell you that this book uh, is is available on on Kindle version. I see it on Amazon, and but it's also available out in the market now. So you need to check it out. And folks, listen. You know what? A lot of people get uncomfortable. Here's the pro- one of the problems still, right? Re- regardless of where we live, is where we feel a little uncomfortable talking about something in a private life, something as private as sex. But the fact of the matter is it's affecting a lot of lives and it's affecting a lot of lives negatively. Listen, we all understand it. It's, it's, it sex is, can be an awesome thing. But also at the same time, when out of control, it's a problem. And, and it's going to cause problems for people down the road. Not just physically, as Dr. Hazinga is pointing out, but it's, it's mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually to an extent as, as well as it's going to affect you. Sure. And so... We know a book like this that can edu- not only educate you, but parents, I want you to listen to me. You're a parent and you have a young child. Why shouldn't you know everything that you that you should know? Because Dr. Hazinga has done such great research and has put it together in this book. Why don't you learn everything that you can and then come up with a way that you can talk about it in a way that makes sense to your young child? Okay, because, you know, it's going to start. It's going to start there. All right, because if you avoid that conversation, if you avoid that, then guess what's going to happen? Something's going to happen down the road. I just promise you it will if, if you don't handle it. So why not get the book? Why not educate yourself? Why not take the bull by the horns? Educate yourself. Know everything that you can know. Know the truth. Know the facts that Dr. Hazinga has, pre- has laid out for you in Sex, Lies, and STDs. Why not put those facts together so that you can be prepared to have the best conversation you can have with your children? And then, listen, I want to just talk to, you know, the young people. Listen, you, you folks at high school, college who binge my show. And by the way, I'm grateful for you. Okay, I, I am. I'm, I'm grateful that you, you guys do that. But why don't, you, why, don't you get, why don't you get some facts together, right? The book, again, the book's called Sex, Lies, and STDs by Dr. H. You've seen him on TV, right? So, you know what? He's done the research. It's taken him three years to put this all together on the weekend. So why not get the book and why not educate yourself, right? Listen, listen, no one has to know. Keep it in your book bag, all right? And then pull it out, you know, in the middle of the night with your flashlight on your covers like the rest of us did, okay? When we had certain things we didn't want anybody to see reading, okay? When we were in college. Nothing's changed that much. You're not all that original. So we, I get it. But why don't you do that, right? And then for all of us adults who think we are just so smart when it comes to sex, we're not, 
<laughs> we're just not because we're getting our information from the internet and as Dr. H has clearly made clear to us is that you know what we we, we can't even get 50% of the information um, in order to get that so get the book the book's called Sex, Lies and STDs and, it, and, if, and if they don't have it in your local bookstore wherever that is you tell them you need to get this book because this is going to help a lot of people and we need to get the message out um, on the book did I do that okay? Wow, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm all on board. One other just scary statistic, because a sure. lot of other people, the other thing is, okay, well, I'll give it to my kid, maybe senior in high school, maybe freshman right. year in college. And, I, you know, this is, a, this is a big issue. And, you know, I'm old school, and I go, yeah, definitely maybe all freshmen coming into college. Right. Then I, the other day I get a statistic, and I'm going to question you, what percent of 13-year-old males have had intercourse? 13-year-old males. Oh, I, I think it's higher than I think it is. But I'm going to say I'm going to say somewhere around 35%. Well, yeah, that's that's way higher. But 8%, okay. 13-year-olds what? in America. I, I, I jumped to that. That's still a high number. Yeah, I jumped to that because I thought, okay, this is going to be way higher than I think yeah, it is. Yeah, a trick question. Right. But I would have thought 2% or something, you know. Uh, you know, we all know, you know, in high 8%. school, but 13 years old is before high school people. You know, high school is whatever, you know, 14 right. to 18. So to me, that's a startling fact that says we've all got to get, because we have this question all the time with the um, the human papillomavirus vaccine, right. and people go, oh, I'm not sure I want to give my 12 or 13-year-old something, you know, for various reasons. Number one, they're not going to be having sex until four or five years later, and we, we clearly know that's not true. And number two, hey, that's going to make my child potentially more promiscuous. And clearly the studies have shown if you talk about this issue early on in life, if you give your your young kids age 12 to 13 the HPV vaccine, that absolutely does not increase increase their promiscuity or increase the right. age of, of first uh, sexual contact. So I think that that's reassuring. And, um, you know, the other thing that we always say is, hey, you know, just because you're a safe driver doesn't mean you don't need a seatbelt. <laughs> so just because your kid is very straight and uh, is, is very responsible doesn't mean they don't need proper sex education and proper uh, vaccination for diseases, by the way, that are, are killers, you know. And I know you had on a patient of mine, Ricky, and he, unfortunately, and I don't know if you talked that much about it, did have, you know, something, a complication from right. an STD right. that was life-threatening and, and now is essentially completely preventable. Right. And that's why the vaccine is one of the big points in the book. And, 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 and that's awesome. And see, I, I agree that one of the things that we're, I think sometimes we get very afraid. We think that, I think we get afraid as parents so frequently that, well, if I start talking about sex, then that means they're going to have more sex. And that's just not true. That it's just, and I, what you should be, you know what, it's like, it's like, <laughs> You know what? Let me give you an example that I've said. You know, if you talk more about broccoli, they're not going to eat more broccoli. <laughs> okay, I'm just I'm just telling you, right? But I can talk about the benefits of broccoli to get you to eat some broccoli and eat it correctly. Or I could talk to you about a Brussels sprout. It doesn't mean just the more I talk about Brussels sprouts, the more Brussels sprouts you're going to eat. That's just not the way it works. And so... You know, we think, well, sex is so different. Well, no, listen, if you talk about it in the right way with your children, okay, and I don't care, I don't care if, if you're more on the religious side or not, okay, the fact of the matter is you need to be having this conversation because, you know, what happens is when we're naive to things, that's when we get in trouble, okay, and when we are so... Absolutely true. Yeah. And, Statistically and, shown. Yeah, right. I mean, when we're naive. It's just like abstinence. You know, if we teach abstinence, people then naively say, okay, I'm not going to have vaginal intercourse, and they have higher risk right. intercourses without proper protection. And that doesn't necessarily cut down on STDs, and it, it can increase the pain, not decrease. Yeah, you, you know what? This is the, this is the thing. Yes, this is the thing. That that kind of frustrates me a little bit, uh, actually a lot. But I, but what frustrates me is we're so sometimes convinced, right? Listen, I think I think 
you know, if your if your plan as a parent is to teach abstinence, I have no problem with that. But you have to understand that as much as you teach abstinence, it's kind of like it's there's a psychological reactance. Let me explain what that is. All right. If you ever see a sign on a chair that says wet paint, do not touch. What is it that you want to do? You want to touch it. Okay, that's the psychological answers. Whenever we feel that somebody's taking control away from us, we want to exercise control back to get that control back. So a lot of times we will do the very opposite thing that you say, which is why parents have to be very, very careful when they say, don't you dare do that, because the very thing that we want to do is, if you, especially if we don't have a good enough explanation as a parent, is they go, oh, really? Well, then I'm going to do that. Do not take any more cookies from that cookie jar. I'm just telling you. Well, what's the thing that we want to do? Well, we want to take cookies from the cookie jar because you told me I couldn't. You can't have them. So we have to be very, very careful. And I think, you know, you agree with this, Dr. H, right? We have to be very, very careful how we handle these issues because certainly because we can have, you can have a negative backlash that parents don't expect. And, 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 and it can happen when we just say don't instead of explaining, okay, here's why. Here's what you need to know. Am I wrong on that? Very, very true. And and that's why, you know, sexual education is just so vital because it's an absolute, you know, part of our life. And there's huge hormonal and, you know, uh, brain libido calls that some of which are subconscious. And we have to be very open and upfront and also non-judgmental. And I think that that's really the best, the best course. But lack of information is always especially in this field, very, very dangerous. And and here you're not talking about making a mistake. You're talking about making a mistake that, that could affect your entire life, and that right. includes unwanted pregnancy right. and diseases that affect your ability to get pregnant later in life. And right. and since these things can happen at age 16 and 17 before, you know, you, you've really decided what, you know, course you want to take in your life to have, you know, right. something happen just from lack of knowledge and education is really, really tragic. Yeah. Do you realize that we've been on together for over 50 minutes? <laughs> I can't believe it. It's just been... It, Time flies. It really does. I have really enjoyed this. Um, I, I really... I, I enjoy I, it as well. I, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I always tell people who are on my show that uh, I generally believe that when we've spent the time that you and I've spent together that we're more than just an interviewer to um, an interviewee and you're not just Dr. H and I'm Jay it's I believe that we're friends and so I hope you'll allow me to call you friend because I certainly have absolutely I've certainly enjoyed it and I've certainly enjoyed you and your candor and your honesty and your passion and I've also in am grateful that you're such a renaissance guy and I'm as one myself I love the renaissance guys who are not afraid to um, step out be a little different be a little unique and have a multiple passions and you clearly have that and so thank you for that much appreciated I, I, that that's very very kind words so I always ask I always ask my friends by the end of the show I ask them to do one thing for me and that is since the show's called a new direction we ask I ask my friends, I go, well, if you were to give the listening audience uh, a short little something that would be a new direction for them, what would Dr. H say to the listener to give them a new direction? Well, I've always believed in looking at the different parts of your life and, and putting them together. In other words, in my case, you know, you learn about medicine and then you have certain other passions in your life. And it could be photography, it could be sports, it could be uh, astrophysics, but you, then you decide how can you create, how can you elevate, you know, your main field by bringing in, you know, your special passions and your special other areas of interest. And it, just to me, when you get these different lines of of thought and reasoning, you can really bring value to, you know, your your quote unquote, you know, main career, your main uh, you know, source of income by incorporating from all these other areas that, that you take up. And it doesn't have to be one or two. It can be multiple. And, you know, people that just stick within the boundaries don't tend to get quite as far 
in terms of, you know, new thought and kind of elevating their game, so to speak. And, you know, that's that's something that I've always found really helpful in my own life. That's awesome. Can you stay with me for just a second? Dr. Dr. Sure. X, is that okay? Thank you. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. His name is Dr. Hazenga. He, we call him Dr. H. You've known him. You've seen him. He's got a great book called Sex, Lies, and STDs. Folks, I can't, I can't sum up any more than what he said right there. You know what? Life is big. It's huge. Why not, why not live it? Why not live every moment? Why not live it the way you're supposed to live it? Why not, why not go outside the boundaries? Why not? I know I hate using the term, but why not draw outside the box? Why not? paint outside the lines why not look you never know what your passions could be you never know what you can experience and dr hazinga is certainly uh, and is an example of that and i appreciate him folks thanks for joining the show listen as i tell every one of you every single week it's this way be inspired because when you're inspired you can inspire someone else and when that happens we can make this world an amazing place and so i will see you next week with another great guest thanks for joining us and i will see you soon ciao everybody And the answers don't make sense You got to keep your hope alive You got to know you can survive This is your time to fly A new direction, a brand new day A new direction, things are gonna change Your dreams will take you place